Welcome to Much More Much Year with Pup Duffy and Kara Lane, an Aunt Imagination production. Guys, I am here with Joachim Horsley. He is a composer, arranger, and pianist. And we're really excited to talk about this concert that's going to be uh, November 11th, Veterans Day in LA. Joachim, tell me more about it. Thank you so much. So I do music that's a fusion of classical music and Caribbean rhythms. So just imagine Beethoven in Havana, Mozart in Colombia, and so forth. We, the rhythms that I love from all over the Caribbean are something I've loved my entire life. And I've met drummers from all over the world who are from the Caribbean. Uh, so this concert in particular, we have two Colombian guests. We have a guest from Martinique, actually two guests from Martinique, which is amazing. Uh, our, our Congolero is from Venezuela and mm-hmm. lots of other, other different Cuban musicians as well. So we have a ton of uh, Caribbean flavor all done. It's like a parallel universe where Mozart and Beethoven were living and thriving in the Caribbean. What would they write music like if they were always from the Caribbean? So more Havana than Vienna. Right. And you're right about the, um, the, the Latino or the Hispanic or the, uh, the Islander type of music, like the steel drums, the guitars, the rhythm. Yeah. Just the swag, right. The, the, just, I don't know. It's just so culture culturally, I can't say the word it's rich in culture and you're right. And I I'm imagining like, like you said, Mozart or, or Beethoven in their powdered wigs on the beach. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, the thing is that you're right. These are, these are extremely rich cultures. They're, I really think of them as treasures of the earth and you know, the phenomenons, the, social and historical phenomena that made it possible for these African cousins, you could say, to exist in these different places resulted in these super, super interesting rhythms. And, you know, us in, in the United States, we, we actually, whether we know it or not, we've got a lot of Cuban influence in all our music because there was so much Cuban immigration. Uh, you know, historically, we had a lot of people come from, from Cuba over the decades. We didn't qu- get quite as much, uh, for, from Venezuela and Colombia, certainly we have many Venezuelans and Colombians and you in Florida know that in Miami, there's many, 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 many different Caribeños there. But um, what I'm really interested in is that, you know, when I, I had studied Latin music uh, my entire life from the United States, and I finally got to go to Cuba for an educational trip in 2015. And it was just really eye-opening because all the things I thought I knew after studying Cuban music and playing with Cuban musicians in the United States, uh, I didn't know anything. You know, I really learned, I was learning all over, it was like I was a student all over again. And that's when I decided I had to do this project. And about a year later, I developed this piece called Beethoven in Havana, which at the time was just performed by me on my piano. And I was overdubbing uh, the sound of a rumba ensemble. Rumba is- so I basically was learning about that music and I did this Beethoven arrangement called Beethoven in Havana. And uh, I did it all myself on my piano. I didn't know what was going to come to it, but it was like it was like a trial balloon for the whole project, you could say. Right. So I just did this YouTube video like a lot of musicians are like, let's do a YouTube video and see what happens. So what happened was really interesting as a lot of people around the world saw the video on Facebook or YouTube or, or other social media and got in touch with me and said, hey, what you're doing is really interesting. 
maybe we could work together. And I found a way to collaborate with amazing musicians, including Jen Del Tambo and Arito Cantora, who are actually with me today in LA. And we're going to do our concert on Friday. So that led to us doing two arrangements that we did on the new album, uh, this Colombia Andante, which is a Mozart piano concerto with Colombian rhythms, which we're going to play on Friday night. And they also joined me for the overture of the album, which is like a whole thing of Caribbean drummers. But anyway, the point is, it all started with me just trying to make a YouTube video in my, yeah. in my, in my house. And it led to this amazing experience of meeting uh, drummers from all over the Caribbean. And uh, I also tour a lot in Europe. Um, and that kind of happened from that video as well. So basically, that video kind of launched me down the rabbit hole of Caribbean and classical fusion. And I'm never, never going back, I guess, is the answer. So, so did you grow up just like with the classical training, just the basic piano lessons? This is the concerto you're going to play. This is this. And then just as you got older, just like there's so much more. That's what it sounds like. That's actually very close to how it happened. I, you know, my, my mother is German and she had a very traditional uh, education, you could say, in classical music from Europe. And she was, she basically was made sure that my brother and I took piano lessons. And my older brother, who was very good pianist, he was like a, like a savant, really. And I just wanted to do everything like him. He was about five and a half years older than I was. And he was playing, you know, Liszt and Mozart and all this wonderful stuff. And he was also playing Boogie Woogie. And I think as I was, you know, five years old and he was 10, I would, you know, come in and out of the room and hear these different things. And to me, it was totally normal to just, you know, I had jazz and classical music kind of in my head all at once. And there was no like, I don't know, there was no wall between the two for me, I could say, you know, there, I, I, I had no problem with that, even though my mother was her imagination didn't doesn't really go beyond classical music, you could say. But of course, we were, you know, influenced by all sorts of other things. We loved early rock and roll. And then at some point, I think it was, I think it was when my dad bought the Graceland album by Paul Simon. That was the first time I heard music that was like truly world music. Everything else I had heard was nothing like that. And I hadn't heard any Latin music, not, no Tio Puente or anything like that. So I, I was totally blown away. And I was immediately attracted to all the collaborating artists that Paul Simon had on that record. You know, I think of my generation, everyone's dad had that record. You know what I mean? It was like, you can call me out was the big hit on the radio. And this was like, this is like the boomer song. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, I, but I was like, what's, what's the background? What's going on? What's this rhythm? And when I looked into it, I discovered that there was this like whole world of music that I was not exposed to. I was growing up in Brooklyn, Massachusetts, and I didn't know any Caravanios around me. And so like, I, I was like, this is like an exotic treasure, right? So of course I ended up studying music more and learning about Latin music. And of course there's plenty of Brazilian jazz that I, I you know, kind of comes with the territory when you start studying jazz, which I started doing in high school and when I went to music camp and things like that. But I'd always taken an interest in Caribbean music and eventually I just kind of needled my way into understanding it. And of course, I still feel like I'm like this eternal student of, of, of everything. But um, yeah, that eventually led to what, what, you know, what happened in 2015, which was really the moment where the, my life got completely devoted to doing this fusion. So, and at that point I'd had rock and roll and classical and jazz training. So I was kind of ready to do something like this because I had enough of a, of a base 
to like launch into a project and kind of figure out my own way to do it, you know? Right. And I'm imagining that that album that your dad brought home was probably like the first music you had heard that was less than a hundred years old. It sounds like. <laughs> you know what? It's funny. I mean, we did listen to, we didn't listen to, I mean, I listened to everything, you know, at the time I was listening to eighties music and rock and roll. I mean, it's not like we lived under a rock, but in my house, like Saturdays were like the opera, you know, classical music pretty much all the time. When we were in the car with my mom, there was no way we were allowed to turn on the pop music station you know, she would not even let us put in like a Beatles tape. It was like, no way. It is totally classical music. It was the only thing that was allowed in her car. There was no like, let's say, listen to what you want. But that was okay because, you know, I, I, it wasn't a bad thing. I love that music. And, and I'm grateful that she had this point of view because she brought so much music. We used to play games like identify this piece, identify which movement of which Mendelssohn symphony this is, you know, that kind of thing. Like those were the fun games I would play with my mom in the car. So it's like, but now I look back on it, I, I know that's really rare. Nobody gets a kind of exposure to classical music. So I'm extremely grateful for it. But when I discovered everything else, it was like a, like a, like a naughty escape. You know what I mean? So that's, that's kind of how it was. That's kind of how it was. So just now that's still kind of how it feels. You know what I mean? It still feels like this, like uh, somewhat taboo thing, but I've come to realize that, you know, as you get older and you might realize this too, but like, when people say, oh, it shouldn't be done that way, that's, that's kind of means you should do it, <laughs> especially when it comes to music. Because when people say it shouldn't be done that way, what they're really saying is they're afraid because they thought about doing it too and they don't want to embarrass themselves. That's usually what they mean, I've come to realize. <laughs> so, I think you're a thousand percent right because a lot of times people say, oh, it can't be done. Well, that's because you're afraid to fail at trying to do it. Exactly. I think you're Right. And I can, I can relate to the, um, the taboo feeling growing up Baptist and watching, you know, MTV late at night. So, so, so quiet with my face like this to the TV. So my parents didn't hear me, but I mean, that's, you know, you have to, you have to branch out and sometimes parents aren't as supportive as they could be about it. And I wanted to you out because you said boomer music about that song and i know every single one of those words i know that's on my heart but Me too. You know, that was the first like pop or radio song that i had really noticeably heard horns in i mean huey lewis did it with like the saxophone but that was like okay we got horns we got we got brass up in this song and and forget about chevy chase in the video you know it's just like it's for something for you to be introduced really into kind of a really strange, creative musician, I think that perfect. <laughs> no, totally. And I, I'm right with you. I know every single song on that record. And then Rhythm of the Saints, when that came out, that was the next level. I mean, that really was. And I'm so grateful that he did that. And it's funny because to some degree, those albums have, have their own controversies, like whether Paul Simon really wrote the songs and all this stuff that happened, which, which is a whole other conversation. But for me, I was super grateful that, you know, is this, how else was it like a, like a white kid from the suburbs of Boston going to learn about this stuff? Like I, I had no other exposure. So I'm super grateful that he did those projects and it just led to, you know, all the things I love. So it was, those were amazing. And that led to learning about, uh, you know, uh, Chucho Valdez from Cuba and 
of course, all merengue music from the Caribbean and, and, and you know, Tito Puente. And of course, it, it also helped, you know, I listened to a lot of Santana at that time, of course, and his influences were all the things that I wanted to find out. He was playing, you know, rock versions of Cuban songs and so forth. So everything I could get my hands on that had a Latin flavor was really interesting to me. And that's really what led me to falling in love with Cuban music. And that's what led me to go getting more interested in Afro-Venezuelan, Afro-Colombian, Martinique, Haitian music, Dominican Republic, Cabo Verde. Those are really the rhythms I'm super interested in. And of course, tracing their roots back to Africa and in some cases, Native, Native American roots. Well, that's, I mean, it's, I think it's an incredible mismatch, mishmash. I think it's, it's a beautiful marriage of a lot of, it's a, it's a poly marriage, but it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice conjunction, I guess, of all of these different styles. And I think that's part of like current music, maybe not to get off on a tangent, but current music, they're afraid to take these bold steps. They're afraid, like you said, they're afraid to fail. They're afraid to try because they yeah. might, it could be the, the most amazing thing you've heard, you know? Totally. Well, you know, it's interesting because the, it's funny you say that because a lot of times fusion projects with classical music, they take the theme and then everything else is, is sort of the pop version. And that's totally fine. But what I'm trying to do, and I, I hope this doesn't sound too lofty, but I, when I approach this, I really try to do it like a role play. So it's like, what if Beethoven really lived in Havana? You know, I don't mean like, let's take those notes that he wrote once and do our own thing. Like if he really lived there and he was surrounded by the environment that the Cubans who made rumba were surrounded by, what would it actually be like? And this forces you to sort of imagine like, okay, so essentially what it comes down to is not just distilling the notes and as much of the orchestration as you possibly can, but also the attitude. And so when you, like the attitude is really, really, that's the invisible thing that everyone knows it when they hear it, when they hear music that they connect with, they hear an attitude. And that's the thing that's really important to try to really get, both in, let's say, the Cuban style and, and the Beethoven style. So like, for example, with uh, Moonlight Mozambique, the new, one of the new pieces on the album, Mozambique is a style from Cuba from the 60s. It's kind of a carnival rhythm that this guy, Pelo El African, invented. And it's super fun. It's a, it was really popular in the 60s in Cuba. And the Moonlight Sonata, it's a very famous Beethoven piece that everybody knows. To me, the, 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 the start, what started out as kind of the exercise was to say, okay, if Beethoven was an associate of Pelo El African, how would he have wanted, and he was into this, like I'm into it, how would he do it? So it's trying to capture this dramatic essence of Beethoven and putting it in this, in sort of the, the party essence of this 1960s awesome Cuban rhythm. And so obviously when I, I mix them together, I have to make some choices about how to change the Beethoven a little bit. But what, what I'm really interested in doing is making sure that the rhythm is authentic. And so naturally what happens is the rhythm goes from da 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 to dun 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 da dun 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 da dun 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 da dun 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 da because that goes with the Mozambique. And sometimes it works and I have lots of projects that don't work too because they're, I, I try this experiment and like it ends up, you know, so there's a lots of half written songs where we're like, I got in the beginning and, you know, it wasn't working for one reason or another. And that's, that's okay. There's a huge amount of experimentation that's necessary. But Moonlight Mozambique is just obviously one example of, I think, where the experiment, I, I was happy with, with where it went. But yeah, the attitude is, 
is to me, it's like, uh, you want to imagine yourself there. Like, that's what I want for the listener. I want the listener to hear the piece and I want them to be transported away from everything ordinary and be in this magical parallel universe where something like this exists. And I hope that people hear it and they go, well, okay, if this is possible, then maybe anything's possible in my life. Maybe all these things that I think are impossible are in fact possible. That's, that's like, that's what I hope people feel when they hear the music, you know? Right. And it's very, it's very uplifting. It, it, it should, I was going to say it will, but it should get you up out of your seat. It should get your toe tapping. Right. And it's, <laughs> yes, you were saying if Beethoven um, was a contemporary of these uh, other musicians, there's a part in the queen doc. Is it a documentary? The film anyways, that they made where uh, John Deacon is kind of just doing something on the bass and Freddie is looking at him. He's like, what is, what is that? You know? And then he kind of sits down at the piano and I, I like to imagine that's what it would be like. You know, he'd be like, what are you? Okay, hold on. Dun, 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 dun. I think that, I think it's amazing. This is a nice world you're creating here. <laughs> Uh, but thank you for saying that. Well, yeah, you know, it's funny because we think of Beethoven, we have all the literature and, you know, it's, when we go to music school, we learn the Beethoven, we spend years studying all the harmonies and the German augmented six chords and everything that comes along with that. And when we, when we study this stuff, it's easy to think that it all just happened at once. You know, it was like a, like a gift from, from Beethoven to us, right? He just said, here you go. I've completed my masterpiece. And we like to imagine that Mozart didn't ever do any revisions like it's dramatizing the movies. Of course, none of this is true. They're just like us. They made mistakes. They had versions. And what we see long after their death is the stuff that survived, the archival stuff. We never saw the sketches they threw away. We never saw the stuff that they workshopped with the quartets. And these guys were active musicians. They were just like you know, I, I don't know, like uh, Lin-Manuel or like uh, contemporary musicians who are often composers doing stuff and they're working things out. And then, of course, after their, after their death, then, then everything's organized and, you know, with, with numbers and stuff like that. But everything was in motion, in progress. There were drafts and there were revisions. And, of course, they themselves were hugely self-critical because they all wanted to make a contribution that they, for various reasons, of course, felt they had to make. But... The point is, at some point, it was all alive, right? It's not like this dead music that, you know, your uncle or, in my case, my mom would force me to listen to. That's not what it is. It's the stuff is totally alive and it was vibrant. And the reason we still have it in our culture is because it was really well done. And so, to me, um, I think kind of doing this stuff with the Caribbean rhythms, this is like it doesn't need me to like re-energize it because it's already energized. I would say more that this is just a way to have absolutely fun with something that's totally eternal. Um, and uh, from time to time, some people hear it and they're like, oh man, why are you doing this? Beethoven's already good. You don't need to, to mix it up. And well, the truth is that actually Beethoven and Brahms would do this all the time. They would take themes from older composers and they would do their own version. And it was a great way to make a hit, you know, um, you know, Rachmaninoff would take a theme from Brahms or whoever, and they would, that's how they would like kind of put, get people to understand their style because they heard a melody that they were familiar with and they did their own spin on it. And this was totally normal for their time. Um, for some reason that kind of went away. I think maybe something about going through two world wars and what classical music was during that time. I mean, this is more of a historian question for some, for some reason that doesn't really happen. I think it's too bad. Um, so I'm kind of, the ambition of the project, I'm not saying I've, I've achieved this because that's really up for people to decide later. The ambition is really to create something that's like 
like repertoire, like a spin on the Beethoven or a spin on the Mozart or a spin on the Mendelssohn. That is an option for people to I- enjoy it in, in this own way. And it's, it's obviously mostly, I just want it to be entertaining and fun, but um, the ideal situation is that I've respected the Beethoven and respected the Caribbean rhythm in, in a fusion that clicks. And so that's, that's kind of why I have so many different versions that aren't completed because I sort of have an absurdly high standard for my own work and I just want it to be totally like respectful of everything in there. In fact, um, one of the things we're working on right now, we're doing a compa slash zook, which is Haiti and Martinique version of the Barber of Seville theme, uh, the overture, <laughs> and they're recording it in the other room. And the exact conversation we were just having about an hour ago was exactly what drum to play at this exact moment. And we've changed this rhythm here because we're always asking these questions like, are people going to recognize the original style? Are they going to recognize the original classical tune? So it is kind of like making these things fit together like gears in a perfectly aligned Swiss clock. So it takes, it takes a little time and we have to kind of go on faith. At the end of the day, obviously, we do make choices where we think things need to be compromised. But ultimately, the goal is to make something that seems to blend together naturally. We know we've done it right when it feels like a natural thing. That's kind of what we're going for. I think it's it's kind of amazing because you're also bringing classical music to to people and to young people that probably wouldn't necessarily have access or immediate access to it. It's it's not it's not something that may that maybe it's not played in the household. It's just you know culture. There's that word again. It's just it's a in certain communities maybe Beethoven Bach. You know maybe it's just not it's not in the, on the turntable. It's not a, you know in the tape collection. And I think it's kind of cool because, you know, I can just imagine a young kid like at the concert on Friday, jamming out. He's there with his, you know, his uh, veteran dad or veteran mom and jamming out and going, who is this? You know? And they're like, it's Beethoven, (laughs) you know? I think that's super, you're introducing a very, very, very old thing to new people. I think that's super cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, that's what I hope. And it is an all ages show. So hopefully that'll happen. And, and, uh, you know, my kids will be there, they're 11 and 12. And, uh, but yes, I think, I think that's right. You know, it's Beethoven, it's kind of like homework, right? It's like, oh, yeah, okay, at some point, if the music program is good enough, you're going to get exposed normally. But that's a shame, because it shouldn't be like that. And it certainly shouldn't be this dead thing. Like I keep coming back to saying, you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be this you know, difficult study, it should be exciting. And if the music is a way for people to access Beethoven, that would be wonderful. I think that'd be great. Likewise, if people are familiar with, you know, a Beethoven, like Beethoven seventh, or uh, a famous melody from Mozart, if that helps them have a reference as they go into the Caribbean rhythm, I think that's great too. You know, I've gone to so many music festivals where I didn't know where to start. Like I see an amazing samba reggae band and I know nothing about this genre and it just sounds incredible and I'm overwhelmed, but I have no context. I think that's, that's a unfortunate thing when you have no, no way to, you don't even know where to start. It's like, it's like someone giving you a book and you don't know to start at the beginning. You know, it really is. It's tough. So I hope that at least if someone recognizes the melody or if someone's coming from maybe the Caribbean culture, they recognize the rhythm and they say, Oh, this melody. Okay, cool. It'll kind of drag them over to maybe something they have not normally been exposed to. After all, when we go back to the Paul Simon example, 
when that phenomenon happened to me, it made me really happy. You know, it made me really happy to open my eyes to new ideas. I kind of think that to me, that's like the meaning of life to be like constantly learning and finding out new things. And this human story that seems to be passed around that to me is really exciting. And I hope, I hope that people who come to the concert or experience the album have this feeling too. Right. Absolutely. And kind of a, maybe a simplification of it is um, people that were in Surat or people that were into rock when, Oh my God, I just read their name, <laughs> but run DMC and, Oh my God, Aerosmith, Jesus. Aerosmith, yeah. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, that was an awesome fusion and that was really cool and, and it worked perfectly well and that's a great example of, of we need as much of that as we can because that's how people get into new ideas. And it, That's how I met Run DMC. That's how, I think, I think that's how a lot of people in America met Run DMC when that video came out and they're busting through the wall. We all saw that. It was great. I think it's amazing and also what I think is incredibly fantastic about this concert which is i don't know what time it is but it's november 11th november 11th at 7 30 p.m at neuhaus in hollywood doors are at 7 30 concerts at eight o'clock perfect but also this is benefiting veterans this is a benefit concert as well yeah Yes, this is a veterans concert benefit as well. So all vets are totally free. They just need to essentially go to the event by Eventbrite page where we get tickets and just shoot us a quick email. And if they're a vet, they're on the list. It's as simple as that. Uh, we're happy to honor the vets on Veterans Day. We're also going to do a silent auction in honor of uh, uh, Base Camp for Vets. That's the charity for which we are raising money. We have an amazing silent auction, including some personal items that. Um, some of my friends and colleagues have put together, uh, for example, my Colombian guest artist, Orito Cantora, she makes authentic Colombian maracas. They're beautifully decorated. They're like true works of art. And she is, ha has one of them for, up for auction. You can see it on the silent auction. Uh, I, I stay at an Airbnb, some other, you know, more conventional things, some things that are not that expensive. Some, if, if, if anyone feels like going crazy and, and you know, uh, bidding on you know, safari that would be great so um but anyway the point is it's uh it's all good there's lots of things on the on the silent option it's all to for a great cause for base camp and they specialize in basically helping uh veterans reintegrate into civilian life if they've had trauma from war and what they do is absolutely amazing and when you come to the show they'll talk and they'll explain more about their mission but they're a, a, an incredible charity and our friend john huertas from uh, actor from this is us is hosting so he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna get in touch with us then. So anyway, so yeah, yeah. No, he's he's great as well. I'm trying to. He was on another show. I, I want to with Nathan Fillion. So when I saw his name, I was like, I know who he is. Yes, he, that's fantastic that he helped set it up as well. But it's November 11th, 7:30, Noy House, Hollywood, on Sunset. So everybody should check it out if you're in the area, and even if you're not. Check out the the silent auction, you know, see how you can help base camp for vets. I think that's pretty cool. Where can people follow you? I know you have a website, yoakimhorsley.com. But are you on social media? Yep, you can follow me on it's just my name, Yoakim Horsley on Instagram. Uh, also Yoakim Horsley fans on Facebook. And if you go to Yoakim Horsley com. that's probably the fastest way to get connected and if you forget all that just google beethoven in havana and you'll find my video and you can go down the rabbit hole and find me that way I, I, if, if all else fails is google beethoven in havana and you'll find me there you go <laughs> well thank you thank so much you for so much
Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad to have talked to you and thanks a lot for having me. Oh, absolutely. Have a wonderful night. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs>